Welcome to a special podcast on real-world evidence from MedTech Insight. I'm Regulatory Managing Editor Elizabeth Orr, and I'm joined today by Steve Silverman, President of the Silverman Group and a former longtime FDAer. It's always a pleasure to have him with us. Real-world evidence has been a phrase backed by a lot of buzz in recent years, but what exactly does it mean? According to the FDA, it means clinical evidence about the usage and potential benefits or risks of a medical product derived from analysis of real-world data, which may include data derived from electronic health records, medical claims data, data from product or disease registries, and data gathered from other sources, such as digital health technologies that can inform on health status. But of course, there's a lot more to it than that. Steve, what are your sort of working definitions of real-world evidence and real-world data? So thanks, Elizabeth, and it's nice to be with you and your other listeners. You know, FDA has posted a definition both of real-world evidence and real-world data, and it's pretty easy to find online. So anybody who wants wants to go and look at the specific FDA definitions can do so. For practical purposes, what I would say is this. Look, first, let's start with real-world data, not real-world evidence. And imagine um, a big bucket, right? And in that bucket, you're loading lots of information about how medical devices are used. And that information comes from various sources. It could come from things like patient records. It could come from billing records. It could come from registries. It could come from other sources. These are things that are not traditional clinical data, but are relevant to the way that medical devices are used to promote patient health. Okay, so that's real-world data. The idea behind real-world evidence is that a subset of that data actually can be pulled out of the bucket, organized, and then used to evaluate the pre- and post-market use of medical devices. So if I have a heart stent, for example, that is in wide use, right, and I am able to collect a lot of patient billing information, okay, that's great. I can learn what are the types of patients who are using this device, where is it being used, the conditions under which doctors want to actually use my stent or may decide to use some other medical technology. All of that and other points of relevant information can then be given to FDA to inform its decisions about the medical device, both whether it should be on the market, whether its indications for use can be expanded, whether there are certain kinds of warnings or precautions that need to be added post-market. So lots of really relevant data points. And then the push is, okay, you know, will real-world evidence ever be a resource that can take the place of clinical data, traditional clinical trials, as the FDA makes those kinds of decisions? And I I think the answer is, at this point, no, but eventually, probably. And what are some of the ways that you've seen real-world evidence and real-world data being used? Okay, so a really, really good example is what CDRH is up to. So everybody knows CDRH is FDA's device center. And a couple of years ago, CDRH published a formal report that documented something like 90 cases where over a, I don't know, two or three year period, the center had used real world evidence 
to make device determinations across the product lifecycle. So all the way from pre-market through to post-market. I don't think that there were any independent determinations made based on real-world evidence. That is to say, FDA didn't make any decisions to let products come to market or expand indications for use solely based on real-world evidence, but those kinds of decisions were informed by real-world evidence. The report is a really good example of the fact that Both the device center and FDA more broadly are really dead set on making use of real world evidence. Can you give me some examples of that? What are some activities FDA has been doing lately to support real world evidence in its use in device evaluation? I think that one example um, is the um, agency's decision to expand the indications for use of a major medical device manufacturer's ablation catheter. Mm -hmm. And based on real-world evidence that was generated with the assistance of the NEST program, that stands for National Evaluation System for Health Technology, and we can talk more about NEST later, but this real-world evidence was generated kind of under the auspices of NEST leadership. And on the basis of this real-world evidence alone, FDA decided um, that it would expand the indications for use for this particular company's ablation catheter. And are there any specific FDA activities that we've been watching, you know, guidance documents or initiatives that Dr. Shearn or other CDRH officials may have mentioned, you know, is there anything else that has sort of signaled the agency's direction? Yeah, I think that there are a couple of things. I mean, look, real world evidence, um, Elizabeth, it's not new, right? It's not like it came to the surface yesterday. It's been Mm -hmm. very present. It's been a big deal for a couple of years, right? So I would say it's kind of more like a, a steady drumbeat than Mm -hmm. a new, bright, shiny announcement from FDA. But if you take a look at the agency's website, right, you'll see that there's a lot of activity around real-world evidence. You know, it takes very little time um, and a simple real-world evidence Google search to see FDA has dedicated pages on its website focused on real-world evidence. The agency has published a bunch of guidance documents to promote real-world evidence use. Um, Dr. Califf recently, very recently, announced that there's going to be increased use of electronic health records, which is a kind of real-world evidence, um, to help promote its use over real-world evidence's use over the long term. So it's not the case that there is something really, really critical and significant that has published or taken effect in the last couple of weeks. What I would say is that there is a bolus of evidence that goes back the last few years that makes clear that real world evidence is a big deal. And you know, one of those things is that the National Evaluation System for Health Technology, which I believe you mentioned a moment ago, or NEST, you know, has some projects to promote real world evidence. Uh, can you talk about how NEST has been impacting the adoption of real-world evidence protocols? 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so first, very, very quickly, what is Nest? Okay, because everybody talks about Nest, right? And Nest as an initiative has developed and changed over years. And so it's worth just taking a moment to kind of chalk the field. Mm -hmm. Nest is a public-private partnership, right, that is operated by the Medical Device um, Innovation Consortium, MDIC. And FDA works with MDIC on a number of health initiatives. Most of those initiatives directly involve CDRH. Another example of a public-private partnership initiative under MDIC is Case for Quality. Different topic, right? Not necessarily connected to real-world evidence. It's just to show that MDIC has a broad mandate. So one of its responsibilities is NEST. NEST is designed to promote real-world evidence by developing case studies to demonstrate that device companies and others have the ability to analyze and aggregate real-world evidence and then to use that evidence to promote device review, whether it's in the pre-market context, so the evidence goes to indications for use or to promote approval, or in the post-market context to better understand safety signals. Nest has been doing this work over the last several years, as I mentioned, primarily through case studies and initiatives to better understand how real-world evidence is acquired and it can be used. And one example of its outputs is um, this FDA green light, as I mentioned a couple of minutes of minutes ago, for an ablation device. The real-world evidence to promote that FDA thumbs up was very, very closely connected to work and support from NEST. Yeah, another sort of ongoing agency initiative would be all the different goals they set um, during medical device user fee negotiations. You know, last yes. year, the most recent list of negotiations, MEDUFA 5, came out. Was there anything in MEDUFA 5 that touched on real-world evidence? I looked through and I, you know, there, it seems like there are a couple things, but could you sort of detail what's going on with that? Yeah, no problem. Um, so, yes, I mean, look, every five years, I believe, FDA yeah. goes through a round of user fee negotiations. It's a big deal where FDA and industry members work together to figure out in the device context how much device companies are going to contribute to FDA to support the pre-market device review process. And it's an opportunity to spotlight and empower certain programs that both FDA and industry um, believe are worth sponsoring. So Nest actually was the outcome, I believe, of the last round, MEDUFA 4, user fee negotiations. Now it's five years later, right? And the question is, okay, what's FDA doing on real-world evidence in the device space? And is it only NEST, or are there other things that the agency is doing? And the answer is yes to both, right? So yes, there is definitely sponsorship of and attention to NEST 
in the recent round of user fee negotiations. This is now Medufa 5, but um, the agency is also looking at non-NEST initiatives to help promote real-world evidence. So outside the context of NEST, in the Medufa 5 negotiations, the agency has has committed to taking a portion of its device user fees to gather additional information on how real-world evidence can be used to promote device review and approval or clearance. And look, I mean, Elizabeth, rather than going into the specifics of the user fee language, and that the specifics are important, but look, I think that a big question, right, is, okay, what does this mean? Right? Yeah, that is mean? the more important thing. Yeah, I agree. What, is, what does this mean with respect to NEST, and what does this remain, mean with respect to real-world evidence generally as it relates to devices? And what I would say is this. I think it's really critical for NEST to prove its benefit and positive impact for the device industry, which is to say NEST is supposed to be a standalone initiative. FDA doesn't want to be basically the person that's footing the bill for NEST over the long term, and neither does industry, right? Industry doesn't want to kind of continue to pay user fees every five years to sustain this initiative. NEST needs to demonstrate that it has value and that it stands on its own as a resource to industry. So, you know, they're getting juice from the squeeze in terms of paying fees for NEST, right? And that's continuing. I think the jury is still out in terms of whether or not NEST will become self-sustaining, but it's a possibility. At the same time, we keep coming back to the same theme, basically, which is that real-world evidence is here to stay. So I think both FDA and industry recognize that real-world evidence is not going anywhere, and it's broader than just NEST, and there needs to be lots of pathways to figure out how it can best be promoted and implemented. And it's a good example, I think, of FDA in areas where it knows it doesn't own all relevant information, the agency asks for input from other knowledgeable parties. And I think that's what's going on here. So you actually touched on something that, you know, it is pretty much here to stay. This is something that every manufacturer should be considering if they're developing a product where, you know, real world evidence is suitable. What are some ways manufacturers who may be you know, maybe they haven't had a new product in a while. Maybe this is their first new product. What are some ways that they can sort of start collecting the kinds of real world data that the FDA appreciates? I think that that's a good. I think that that's a good question, right? You know, what I would say is this. What I see is that in the near term, FDA is not making a hard left to embrace real world evidence as the only source of clinical information about devices. And in fact, across FDA, because real world evidence really spans all medical products to include drugs, biologics, et cetera. So across FDA, right, there is on the one hand, this recognition that real world evidence is a big deal and that FDA needs to learn to use it intelligently over time and recognition that, look, look, we are charting unmapped territory, right? And so 
hardcore standard uses of real-world evidence are not in place yet. What does that mean for device companies? Well, if you're a new device company and your objective is to get your product to market and then begin selling it or maybe position yourself for acquisition by a larger device company, okay, great. Real-world evidence is a thing. If mm-hmm. FDA talks about it in review of your product, fine, have the conversation. But at this point, I wouldn't tell those kinds of small companies, oh, you really need to to be heavily leveraged to develop and submit real-world evidence. By the same token, big companies that are going to be long-term players with FDA and who want to continue to establish good relationships with the agency have an opportunity a good opportunity to jump in and say, we have tons of this information across multiple products. We recognize the potential value. We also recognize the complexity of using this type of data. And so we are ready to work with the agency over time to figure out how real world evidence can be leveraged, right? And so then, you know, I'm not suggesting that it's not a partnership, right? FDA is the regulator. They have the ultimate yes or no, right? But for sure, there's lots of opportunities for productive engagement. So remote monitoring is becoming more common in clinical trials, in part driven by the pandemic and the need to track patients who could not maybe come to a hospital on a weekly or a daily basis. How does that interact with the push for real world evidence? I think that remote monitoring is indicative of the fact that FDA is looking for new and innovative ways to collect evidence from some patient groups that traditionally haven't been able to participate in clinical trials. So look, I don't think that there is a direct overlap between remote monitoring and real-world evidence. At the same time, right? Um, FDA recognizes the big world out there and the model of device evaluation where you get a set patient group, which is predominantly white men or to a lesser extent white women who have some affluence who live in environments where they can show up at clinical sites daily or weekly. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. And it's a big world. And the world includes the actual populations, including minority or economically at disadvantaged populations that may not have the traditional access to clinical sites. So what do you do? Well, there's all of these great technological possibilities to gather evidence, including kind of traditional clinical evidence from these individuals, even if they're not going to brick-and-mortar clinical sites on a daily or weekly basis. So that's fantastic. And I think that, again, it, it aligns with FDA's recognition that we're operating in a different world now. And as you said, a lot of those lessons learned were spurred by the pandemic, but the tail is going to be very, very long-lasting and, and fortunately is going well beyond the pandemic. Any final thoughts on how manufacturers should think about real-world evidence at this point? I feel like we've kind of covered the basics, but is there anything that I haven't asked about that I should have? No, I mean, I agree with you, Elizabeth, that 
we have covered the basics. And, you know, so what are the big takeaways? Okay, real-world evidence, it's here to stay. What is real-world evidence? Well, we have an idea of what it is, but how FDA is going to use it, what potential it has to either complement or, in some cases, replace traditional clinical data, um, how real-world evidence can be distilled and organized in ways that it satisfies FDA device reviewers. There's a lot of unanswered questions. They will get answered, right? This as you know, this is an ongoing yeah. dynamic process. Okay. So what I would say is, you know, good, good opportunities for companies to jump in and build some goodwill by help by helping FDA create rational, insightful regulatory environments. And if companies are not prepared to do that, okay, I mean, at least pay attention, you know, keep reading news clips and other pieces of information about what FDA is doing. And at a point where the real world evidence landscape evolves so that it can directly benefit your company, jump in. Okay, thank you so much. And if my readers or I guess my listeners want to get in touch with you about real world evidence or anything else, what is the best way to reach you? Thanks very much for this plug opportunity. <laughs> yes, well. So I'm easy to find. Easiest thing to do is just go to my website. So it's Silverman Group, Silverman hyphen group, Silverman hyphen group.com. And there's uh, there are links there to um, get in touch with me. And then if people want to reach me by email, no big deal. Steve Silverman, one word at Silverman hyphen group.com. And so, like I said, I'm 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 pretty easy to reach. All right. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Hi, this is Elizabeth popping up to remind you that MedTech Insight and our Sightline sister publications offer a range of podcasts featuring news and perspectives on regulation, policy, quality, R&D, and key commercial topics. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, or your podcast platform of choice. For now, thanks for listening.